Don't bet the family farm on it. Politicians in Paris, Warsaw, Brussels, even New Delhi won't magically find the quick fix for an agriculture sector that's gone global at the expense of small producers. Why is it erupting all over, including here in France? Many of those who heckled President Macron at the opening last Saturday of Paris's big annual ag fair say they wish they could live from the fruit of their labor. But new environmental norms and open borders, they say, make it impossible to compete. Many of them cheered the far-right's leader when he showed up the next day. In India, those protesting leaned more towards the left. The enemy, they say, isn't sorely needed food safety and biodiversity standards, but World Trade Organization rules that let the foxes in amongst the chickens. Global wholesalers and distributors who they say write the rules and impose their will. So, how best to protect small farming in the 21st century. Today in the France 24 debate, what is the sustainable path forward? With us, he's a cattle and poultry farmer from Normandy, Arnold Puech Dadissac, president of the World Farmers uh, Organization. You're also uh, a member, a board member of France's biggest uh, farmers group, the FNSEA. Thanks for being with us. Thanks as well to another farmer, an organic farmer from the central Auvergne region, chickens, what have you got? Goats. Vegetal crops as well. And, and vegetal crops. Henri Landes, co-founder of the Land Destiny uh, Group, which uh, advocates for biodiversity and promotes sustainable agriculture. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure too. From the Brittany resort of Dinard, Jean-Luc Demarty, former director general for external trade at the European uh, Commission. Before that, uh, at the Commission's uh, Agriculture Department. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for having invited me. But I hear the sound, but I don't see the image on my PC. I don't ah, know okay, we'll try, to, we'll try to have that fixed. We can see you loud and uh, uh, crystal clear. Um, we'll be joined from Oxford by Pritam Singh, who uh, is uh, a professor of economics and the author of Federalism, Nationalism, and Development. Your reactions, by the way, on the hashtag F24Debate. Yeah, the, these protests have been taking place for weeks all over Europe. Uh, Dateline this Wednesday, the main highway linking Girona in Spain to Perpignan in southern France. Spanish farmers for the second day running, staging a blockade, at times emptying trucks that bring in cheaper produce from Morocco. Here in France, well, it's Wednesday, but ears are still ringing from the turbulence that followed Emmanuel Macron when he met the wrath of farmers last Saturday at the opening of the annual agriculture fair. Do not paint a catastrophic picture of our agriculture. No, no, sorry, no. But let's listen to each other. Just, let's start with the facts. There are people facing very significant difficulties. I'm just saying that there is a reality there. France's farming sector remains strong. It produces. When I look at things, most sectors produce for our needs, and some even export. That's also why we can't isolate France from the rest of the world, or even Europe, because in the cereal sector and many others, we are exporters. There are many sectors where if we cut off exports, pork, cereals or others, it messes up everyone. And it's not true that in Europe, we say we'll close in Spain for viticulture, but continue to export to others. So that's not true. That heated exchange, Arnold Puech, Dalissac, uh, uh, it uh, also serves as a reminder that for decades now, uh, agriculture is something that's been decided upon 
at the European level, particularly with the uh, subsidy scheme uh, known as the Common Agricultural Policy. Y your, your thoughts on, well, how uh, raucous it was on Saturday. There was tear gas at times. There was riot police inside the, the, the main halls. And what you saw in that exchange, what was your reaction listening back to that? We are in a special time uh, of, the, of the French policy, but the, the farming policy all over the world. After the, uh, um, the beginning of the war, the income of the, of the farmer increased really in Europe and all over the world. The war in Ukraine? Yes, because uh, uh, of the risk of scarcity of food everywhere in the world. But now we are exactly at the opposite. We see that we have a, a, we seems to have enough food and uh, the price of, of a lot of commodities are going down everywhere in the world. And of course, in this case, when your cost of, pro of production have, is increasing as all the sectors of the economy, of course, the farmers suffer a lot and don't see a, a good year at all. And they see now um, uh, that, that the new difficulty are started. And they want protections at the border. And Emmanuel Macron's there saying to them, wait a minute, we have to solve this at the European level. Yes, exactly. We have to solve that at the European level. It's at the European level. To, uh, where, where is the border now? Henri Landes. It's difficult for the European Union to behave the same way that the United States or China do, which are two big trade partners and two very economic influential, two big influential economies with regards to food. Meaning, yes, the borders are the European Union. They got to get 27 countries in agreement on how to do the policy. And the fact is, is that if you are in a world food system, which we are, you have countries that do things very differently with regards to protecting their own farmers. The United States and China have very higher, much higher protectionist measures of their farmers, guaranteeing better pricing for those farmers, whether it be on wheat, on sugar, etc. And that makes it very difficult for countries such as France to then do their own policies to protect these farmers because there's competition within the so European So you're saying there should, be, there should be uh, tariffs at the border of the European Union? I, if you're going to have a world food trade system, you need the same rules for everybody. Otherwise, you're going to have penalization of certain countries and certain populations of farmers. And that's what's happened in France. That's what's happened in the European Union because they're in competition with each other. You have much higher prices they're applied to imported goods from other countries that go into the United States and that go into China, particularly, again, on wheat and sugar and a lot of other milk, et cetera. And some of these countries, uh, China, you know, still have quotas on a lot of products to manage the production and so that you don't have the classic supply and demand problem of having too much production and small, low prices. The main problem for farmers in a lot of industrialized countries, but particularly in the European Union and in France, is that they're not making enough money for what they're... And then there's another issue, which is what happens on the supply chain within the country. That is, the intermediaries in the industry and then in large retail We'll talk about those intermediaries in a moment, but uh, I just want to get uh, your reaction, uh, Jean-Luc Demarty, to, to, uh, to, to that point about the fact that... Uh, uh, Europe, you, I mean, you're old enough to remember when uh, there used to be every year complaints about the mounds of butter uh, that uh, the, the were produced in the EU and farmers were effectively paid to, to let them rot. That's no longer the case. You agree that uh, uh, Europe is overexposed compared to competitors? I fully disagree. I fully disagree. I fully disagree with uh, Mr. Landes said. In reality, it's true that China... China is not a market economy. Uh, uh, they are protecting uh, through different means. 
uh, but uh, uh, the EU uh, uh, and the United States have different system, but it's not true that uh, the uh, US are protecting more than the EU and vice versa, uh, because the systems are different, uh, but the price of wheat are the same, for example, in, in, in Europe than in US. Sugar is a very special case because uh, an overprotected sector in in US. But in reality, uh, we have to we have to look at the level of support we are giving. 40 billion euros for farmers in Europe, 7 billion euros of of, of uh, um, uh, uh, income support, uh, also 7 billion in France. Um, and uh, also we have been very successful because what has not been said that Europe is one of the bigger exporter of uh, uh, food in the world, and we have increased our uh, surplus, our balance surplus uh, in uh, in uh, trade in in agriculture and, and products in food products, moving from 10 billion euro uh, of excess of surplus 15 years ago to to uh, to 70 billion euro in 2023. After 15 years of uh, several new uh, uh, free trade agreements, which shows that what has been saying about uh, free trade agreements being penalizing uh, Europe is completely wrong. All right. So, Jean-Luc Demarty, let's take a listen back. On Monday, uh, there was a meeting of EU agriculture ministers. They uh, met to discuss uh, simplifying the EU's subsidy yeah, scheme, yeah, less yeah. red tape was one of the issues. And yeah, they were, uh, sounded like they were recognizing the problem put forth by Henri Hollandais. Let's take a listen to Latvia's uh, agriculture minister. We must change uh, a lot in the CAP because this uh, green uh, deal and the green targets that we have to reach, it's almost impossible to reach. Uh, at the same time, there is import from third countries where they are not reaching our EU standards. They are producing without any these targets, uh, let's say, uh, climate change targets, uh, environmental targets, what we have to fulfill. And that's actually, uh, my understanding, that's the main message from the farmers. It's hard to uh, compete in the markets. Jean-Luc Demarty, that's not your diagnosis? Uh, I'm not saying there are no problems in agriculture, let's be clear. Uh, uh, there are problems in agriculture. If not, uh, they would not demonstrate in, in, in the streets in Europe. So let's not be uh, uh, naive about that. But we have also to, to, to explain a bit what is happening. First, no product could enter in the EU uh, internal market without respecting the, the EU standards, sanitary, phytosanitary standards. Impossible. Impossible to, to, to export to Europe uh, meat produced from hormones or antibiotics, as it is the case uh, in the United States, for example. So uh, it's clear that uh, not all the production standards are the same between Europe and the rest of the world, but also uh, we have protection, uh, some tariff protection, and also we have also our income support, 40 billion I've mentioned, 7 billion in France, which are precisely there to compensate the difference of uh, production cost between uh, the rest of the world and the EU. All right, so the system uh, has regulation, I mean, has uh, support 
uh, state yeah. support for for farmers. Uh, let's bring out welcome to the to the conversation, Pritam Singh, professor emeritus of economics uh, at uh, Oxford Brooks uh, Business School, the author of Federalism, Nationalism, and Development. Thanks for being with us here uh, in 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 the France twenty four debate. Um, what's it all about these protests for you? Well, the the protests in India by the farmers, which started in um, 2020, and which was against three farm laws, which the Indian government had brought in. And those laws, the crux of those laws was to hand over agriculture to big agribusiness corporations who were close to the regime. And the farmers were able to mobilize massively, and eventually the government knew that it will not be able to repress this uh, farmer's uh, protest. So they agreed eventually to withdraw the farms. And one of the agreements at that time was to provide minimum support price to the farmers. And uh, that and, and a committee was supposed to be set up. And the committee was set up but didn't have the farmers' representative, proper farmers' representative. And, and so it has been hanging on for almost three years now. And now the farmers have again restarted the struggle, saying that we want implementation of minimum support price. And they have come up with this idea that it's WTO rules which do not allow minimum support price to be fixed up. At least that's what the government says, you know. So they said, OK, get out of WTO. Is it correct to say that? I mean, is the, are those the WTO rules? Well, I mean, it, there, is, there is ambiguity. I mean, there is an ambiguity in WTO rules. At, at one level, at a general level, it says that there should be no subsidies. There should not be protection because you want free trade and you want level playing field. Um, and But it says that there can be exceptions for the developing countries. Okay, So, so uh, in theory, one can say that the Indian government can say that, yes, we are using this clause um, you know, of protection for the developing countries to give the minimum support price to the farmers. But it's quite possible that Indian government is using this as only as a pretext and, and not bargaining enough with the WTO that, you know, we, we are still within the WTO framework if we provide the subsidy to the farmers in the form of minimum support price. Because yeah. the thing, agriculture for the farmers, especially for the small farmers, is a matter of existence. It's not simply having reasonable income. Their entire way of life is going to be destroyed. And there are 86 percent farmers are in a small farmer category. They will not be able to compete with big farms. So there has to be a system of protection for those small farms. So that's where the whole debate about free trade WTO comes in. Over in India, over in India, where it's day 15 of the daily shallow march on the capital, uh, the movement, a, a reminder of the big protests, like you were saying, of 2021, uh, many coming out in large parts uh, from places like Haryana and Punjab state, and uh, yeah, that word minimum support price coming up a lot. Let's take a listen. The government wants us to diversify crops. We ask them for a minimum support price. Do that and crop diversification will happen on its own. Arnold Puesh Dalisaka, the World Farmers uh, uh, Organization, includes one of the big Indian umbrella groups uh, that's uh, involved in these protests. What's your religion when it comes to this, this idea of a minimum support price? And you heard the point there made uh, by Pritam Singh that uh, it's the small farmers we're talking about. Those are the ones that are in danger. Last year at our General Assembly, we reviewed our, our, our policy paper on trade. 
And the, the, the first point we, we, we put, we introduce, is uh, the importance of the food sovereignty. Uh, it's that in each country, you have to decide what you want to do. If you want to be uh, to close part of your border and to decide what is your uh, level of sovereignty, you have to decide that. And after you open uh, your market to, to trade uh, competition to uh, and to complete the, the offer you need for your consumer. Uh, but first, decide what you want to do. Uh, it's really the position of the farmer. Of course, uh, some sectors of the economy uh, sometimes prefer to find cheap food from nowhere to uh, to be the more uh, uh, competitive as possible when they export after what they produce, what they transform, what they process. And how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel I defended uh, the farmer's interest, and it's fundamental that the, the farmer, who are really the base of uh, each uh, country, uh, have correct income. Uh, if they are small, if they have large farm, if they are recent farmer, if they the old family, I don't know, I don't care about that. It's important to defend this producer who really um, give the uh, they are the uh, the main the spirit of the country, but they are also the. Uh, the, the people in charge of the food security of your country. Uh, in a troubled world as we have now, it's important to have this level of sovereignty. Here in France, the movement began in the southwest, in areas where there's still lots of small family farms, and those are the ones that are struggling the most, all in on this. What is important to remind is that this is not a few years problem, not a couple of decades, it's almost a century problem at this point of not only forgetting about the importance of having a solid base of the economy and society around agriculture and having farming, 10,000 farms disappear in France every year, and that's still today when we've raised awareness about it over the last few years. These crises, these, these protests are not significant of just a few years of a problem. It's a long-term problem. It's also a disinterest of society in, 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 to the detriment of farming that has grown and that has intensified as industries, as countries have industrialized as well. A disinterest in, in farming or absolutely. just simply that now there are more efficient and bigger uh, operations for, for producing the food that we eat? If you have larger and larger farms with, that are more and more mechanized, that is one way of farming, but you do open up to a lot of vulnerability when you do have to then face either climatic conditions that are getting difficult or you face different pests, or you face other aspects of dealing with nature, because that's what farmers do, they work with living uh, elements. When you have less diversity on a farm, you open up yourself to exposure. You open up yourself to exposure as well when you're in both a world system with lots of different ways of protecting farmers between, b b amongst countries. And I disagree with Demarty that there, there, are higher, there are higher prices in different countries in these big economic powers once again, and very often to the detriment of lots of European uh, of, uh, products. But I'm not, I'm not being chauvinistic with the European Union here, I'm saying that precisely the, the fact that you have different systems worldwide make it so that it's difficult to do trade. That's the first thing. And then secondly, you have supply chains that have made it very difficult for farmers to negotiate effectively and to be respected financially by industry and even more so retail stores, large mm. retail chains. Now, to come back to that, what does that mean? That means that if you want to 
both align with uh, ecological scientific elements, which is that nature produces in diversity and not in monoculture and not in very intense and large-scale farms, for one. And secondly, you want to also be respected financially in a world food system, then you got to apply not only a diversification process within that country of re- favoring diversified farms, but also more farmers. And then you can still have large farms with very high tech and large and, and, and machines, but that is also a big economic vulnerability. Those things cost a lot of money too. And a lot of the problem for farmers today is they're having trouble reimbursing debts in addition to not being paid that much. And then we talk about environmental uh, preoccupations. That's a lot to swallow. And that's what we're going through right now. Yeah, the things like relaxing, um, I ask you because you have a farm, uh, relaxing uh, rules on um, growing more hedges or preserving them, uh, on keeping land fallow. The big farms can do it. The little ones, it's harder. Of course, of course, the, uh, the, the rules need to find really uh, the right implementation and uh, the idea of to, to create set-asides for biodiversity and high level of set-asides, 4% of, the, uh, of the, uh, the European territory need to be put in set-aside for biodiversity. We think it's too much. Uh, we have no... Um, uh, impact, I forgot the word, impact assessment. Uh, Environmental impact study. Yes, uh, about that. Uh, and as farmer, uh, and I have had a set aside in the past, I know that sometimes to live in a small part of uh, near, close to ages, close to, to three, in set aside, that's enough for the biodiversity. But really, uh, to push the, the good uh, land of Europe in such a size, in a time where we need to produce more and more biomass for the, uh, the balance uh, of the carbon uh, economy, um, it's not a good choice. Jean-Luc Tomarty, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I fully agree with what uh, Mr. Pouchidalisak said on, on uh, the uh, <coughs> uh, set aside, on the, on the fellow, uh, compulsory fellow. It should be uh, voluntary, in my view. Uh, voluntary? Yeah, yeah, and, and remunerated and voluntary, so, which was the case in the past. I don't see why we should set aside 4% of, of the area. Um, second, secondly, uh, I think we have, to, we have to, to stop with the religion of small farming, uh, because one of the main problems in France is, is the, the, uh, the, the average size of farms is too small, uh, 70 hectares uh, per farm. It's, it's, it's clear that... Uh, level of uh, competitive for a farm depends on what it yeah. produces. Not many people want to install themselves on large in, farms anymore, Mr. DeMarty. What? Not that many people want to go and do big farms and install themselves the on large farms. It's not, it's not what you want. You yes, it is. It is. When you have no more farmers, what, then yes, it is. Absolutely. You're what, absolutely what wrong. You do not. No, 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 no. It's not necessary for competition. What's necessary is for society to be able to produce food in a most sustainable, financially, economic, and ecological way. You don't just impose something on a whole society because it's economically competitive. That's only one that's part why, of the problem. That's you, that's you with imposing something. I'm not imposing on, anything. I actually on, said that it was uh, important to have complementary. Jean, Jean-Luc Demartin. Well, when could you're I saying nonsense, I'm not going to let him talk. Could Sorry. I express my yeah, of course you can, but it's nonsense, so uh, you, I'm not going to let you talk about it too long. Jeez. So, so what, 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 is, uh, uh, what is necessary is to develop the competitivity of farming and, and in an in ecologically acceptable way. Uh, say what is necessary. It's not uh, trying to reintroduce... Uh, uh, small farms which are not competitive and which would produce uh, 
people which Plenty will not small get farms are competitive. Enough, enough income. It's not. It's not serious. It's no, not serious. It's not serious. What What is unfortunately not serious is continuing to favor a system where they're not making any money, where they're in distorted competition rules worldwide, wrong, and we're ecologically. What do you mean wrong. they're not making money? Why do you think they're in the streets? You have people. Why do you think they're in the streets? They're obviously suffering it's economically. That's the main reason. You cannot deny also that there are ecological principles to abide by, and the fact is that large monoculture farms that have heavily intensified mechanization are not the most sustainable thing. I'm not saying to get rid of them. I'm saying to help them modify their farming. And I didn't even say that they weren't complementary with small farms. And you're just saying that we should impose a fact of having no more small farms. That's just ridiculous. You don't even have most people that want outside of the farming business that want to become farmers that want to have enormously intensified farms anyway. So until you find a, a way to have robots on your big farms that with no more humans that exist in them and, and then find a way to fight climate change and preserve biodiversity, which is the elements of how you make farming work anyway, it's not going to work, Mr. DeMarty. Jean-Luc DeMarty. You want to introduce, you want to, to reintroduce uh, the farming of, the, uh, of France of the ni ni 1950s. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a way to, 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 to build modern farming. Uh, it's, it's, uh, modern farming uh, has to have a, a sufficient economic size, respecting eco ecological uh, and environmental constraints, which are, should be reasonable. That's what's the future. And, uh, and if the, the, the model you are, you are uh, uh, pushing will reduce production uh, of, of uh, uh, agricultural products in, in Europe and in France, and uh, at the end of the day, we would be uh, in a situation to uh, uh, losing security of supply in, in, in Europe, which is normally guaranteed by the Treaty uh, of Rome, uh, today, uh, and I don't understand what it would lead to. It would it would lead be by ideology. It would lead really lead no, to the, the, the only person here with an ideology is you, Mr. Demarty, because I actually talked about a diversified system which allows co countries to actually go towards more local production with the complementarity of trade. And you're talking about an ideology of just increasing size so that they're more competitive. I've never seen something more ideological in this debate than what you just said. Right, let me let me bring in Pritam Singh on this. Uh, because uh, uh, India is a country where uh, right now the population uh, for the majority still lives in rural areas, is moving to the city. What lessons do you draw when you see what's happening right now to small farms in uh, Britain, in France, in Germany and the likes? Well, one thing which I might want to kind of introduce is that this idea that only large farms are more competitive is questionable. Various studies in India on farm size and productivity show that per acre production on small farms is actually higher than the bigger farms. So actually, it is a myth which has been created by ideologists of competition that bigger farmers are more competitive. So that's purely on empirical basis, that's questionable, that bigger farms are more competitive in terms of producing output per acre. Secondly, this idea that uh, competition is the main thing and, and ecology must be added as a subordinate thing is questionable in this world. Because when we are faced with a huge, huge danger of climate change, global warming, which will destroy this planet, and, and you say that that's only an additional thing, it's that we should, we should aim at competition, and provided it is ecologically uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, compatible. And so provided ecologically compatible is being added to. But the point is that at this level, we need farms to produce output, which is ecologically sound, both for them, both for agriculture and also for the uh, uh, consumers. 
problem here comes is that the governments are interested in keeping inflation low. So they put pressure on supermarkets to keep the food prices low. The supermarkets put pressure on the farmers to sell them the produce at the lowest possible price. And sometimes farmers don't. One farmer in, in, in Britain told me that he actually gets only one pea out of one liter of uh, uh, milk because the supermarkets pressurize them so much because the government wants them to keep the prices low. So the supermarkets, you know, sale of goods will be included in the inflation. So it's, it is that pressure which is leading to the destruction of the small farms, not because small farms are not uh, productive and, and they are not competitive. So I think this myth has to be abolished that large are the only ones. And apart from which was mentioned, that large farms are much more ruthless in destroying biodiversity. Because small farmer is more careful, he or she knows what is the level of what the kind of species and, and, and is more caring about the nature. Large mechanized farmer is indiscriminate in dealing with the dealing with the land. So that point has to be brought into this picture. That this emphasis on competition, which is the ideology of the WTO, has to be questioned. Is that how you see it as well, uh, Arnold Puesh, uh, Derisak, the World Trade Organization? which is having its annual meeting right now. We have, we have of course, a large farm <laughs> in Oceania with 1,000 hectares, 10,000 hectares. Uh, we have that also in Russia. We have that also in Canada. And we have a small farm everywhere in Africa, in Malawi, in Kenya. Uh, and every farm farmer in his country try to find the right balance. And I don't want to oppose one system. So you agree with Henri Landes that you do need a balance. You do need both. We need both, of course. You will not change immediately from one system to another. And also in my country, sometimes some large farm stop to work because the next generation don't want to be farmer. And it's you share the farm in different owners of the land and you start with relatively a small farm at the beginning, but everybody can find a, a, uh, his happiness in his job. But what is important, it's now in Europe, and I will speak about Europe really, and uh, what we see, but Africa, uh, India, have the, the, I think the, the same problem. The price of the, the food paid to, to, the, to the farmer need maybe to, need to be maybe to increase 10 or 20 percent to got the, the price we have six months ago all simply because our, uh, uh, it's now the, the price are, are low and the price in the shop is not going down uh, and it's the farmer who suffer and it's not the consumer who with the benefit uh, who have the benefit yeah, for, the, for the 12,000 years since humanity's had yes. agriculture there's been that tussle between uh, the ones who produce and uh, the ones who sell at the market at the ag fair here in Paris that's still going on protesters didn't just target politicians this week uh, they also trashed the stand of French multinational dairy giant Lactaris uh, Lactaris accused of extorting small milk farmers we're saying enough. They offer 420 euros for a ton of milk when it costs 440 euros to produce it and 500 to pay farmers. That's what we're talking about. Uh, milk's a particularly sore subject because that was deregulated not long ago. 
Yes, and, and you know, the, the dairy producers, uh, they work a lot. You have to, to milk your cow uh, every day of the year, uh, morning and evening, and uh, and of course, they need to be correctly paid. And lactalis at this time uh, have a little bit problem uh, uh, with his, his producer uh, because they are maybe... 10% lower than, 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 than the best price that we can have in, in because France. Because they're all powerful, because they're big and they can name their price. Yes, and, and they use the, the law uh, at their advantage. But uh, they, they don't feel that really more and more dairy producers stop to, be, uh, to have dairy, dairy car because the, the price is too low. And if they continue like that tomorrow, they will uh, miss producers. So what do you do? Is it the free market that decides? Or how no, no, do you, no, no, no. What do you we, do when we, it comes to lactaris, for instance? Uh, what do you in do? In France, you have the Egalim Lao who, who, uh, who allow you to, to have a correct discussion and balanced discussion uh, with the industry. And unfortunately, with lactaris, at this time, it's very difficult. Jean-Luc Demarty, how do you deal with, with again, a, a big multinational dairy giant like the one we're discussing that uh, has the power to set its price when it comes to small milk farmers, small dairy farmers? Precisely, uh, uh, it, it, it is one, one of the big problems. And uh, I, I remember I have, as Director General Fagator, I have, have chaired a, a, a group, a high-level group composed of representatives of all member states in 2009-2010, uh, uh, which has led to a recommendation which has been transformed in a legislation uh, in, in Europe, which uh, authorized uh, 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 regrouping of farmers, uh, producer organization, uh, negotiating price and volume uh, uh, with, uh, with uh, the, uh, the industrial uh, for the milk and also for other products, is, is, and which something which was not authorized by uh, competition rule in Europe up to now. Uh, now it has been authorized since uh, 2013. And in my view, that was uh, Egalim law is is uh, is lacking. Instead of recommending or even making compulsory the negotiation of producer organization with the uh, the industry, uh, with the uh, the processing uh, like Lactalis or Bongrain uh, in France, uh, they are only uh, making compulsory the individual contract of farmers with uh, the industry, which is putting the farmer, in my view, uh, at a disadvantage. And what's that? What is lacking? So I'm deep in favor of this negotiation between producer organization and the uh, and the industry, enterprise by enterprise, and I'm sure that it could produce very interesting effect. Uh, I, I really deplore that it has been properly used in France, and the Egalim law, law is not properly uh, uh, written uh, in order to favorize the regrouping of farmers in the negotiation of price and, and, and volume with, uh, with the industry. Okay, so the farmers have to contend uh, with uh, wholesalers uh, at the national level, but also at the international level, uh, Henri Landes, you take uh, uh, the biggest uh, wholesale food giants like uh, Cargill and Archer Daniels Midland, two huge uh, U.S. multinationals. Uh, they set their prices as well, but on a bigger scale. Yeah, I, I agree with what Demarty said around the, the implementation of the Galim law. I think that it's important to take a step back and see what kind of interactions you do have between multinational corporations and then um, decision makers. I'm not a specialist of how Cargill, Tyson Foods 
come in and affect negotiations at the European Union level. Um, I'm only going to just extract conclusions that there's probably a large influence of large corporations at traffic jams of negotiations, but I'm not going to comment on that. Because what you've got, you've got the... Um so you have the small farmer, you've got the yeah. big farmer. Then you have the 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 the. Uh, uh, you have cooperatives also that try and help farms negotiate as well with these with with the different parts of the supply chain, which is industry and processing, and then large retail stores. Yeah. The so, issue is yes, when you do have international negotiations, then you have multinational corporations that can almost supersede those national negotiations, that becomes very difficult to handle. So who's the most powerful? Is it the supermarket chains? Is it the wholesalers? Certainly not the small farmers. I don't want to discuss here. You know, this is not scientifically demonstrated because this is a sociological study that is necessary. I'm going to, I'm going to conjecture large corporations in retail and in industry have more power than any other stakeholder at the table. Pritam Singh, you agree? Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. I, that, that's one of the reasons that the whole uh, world food market is being distorted by the power of these big multinational corporations. And their influence sometimes is open, but sometimes is very disguised. It doesn't come out in the open. But they have, they have advisors, they have experts. None of them, virtually none of them, have any experience of farming. And that's one of the problems in setting agricultural policies. The people who set the policies, who frame the policies, very few of them ground ground the reality of agriculture farms. Similarly, the subject of agriculture economics used to be a very important subject in the universities. That has been downgraded to financial economics. Very, yeah. very rare you find an agriculture point. would be given a Nobel Prize because agriculture has been downgraded. And and yeah. as a result of that, you find that big corporations which have experts, they are financial experts, they are competitive experts, but they have very little knowledge about um, the, 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 the grounded level farming. So that's why the experience of the small farmer does not get incorporated. It's very important that in any country, at, at a national level, but also at an international level, farmers' organizations must be integrally, structurally involved in the negotiation process. And that's what the farmers in India are saying. That we are not involved. Policies are just imposed on us. For example, that the big agro business corporations just wanted to take over production, transportation, retailing of agriculture. And farmers were not consulted and they were just imposed. And the 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 COVID was taken as an advantage that if you if you if you introduce a law when the COVID is on, farmers would not be able to mobilize, and and in a steel fashion you will be able to introduce that. But Indian farmers showed maturity, uh, innovation, creativity. They mobilized on a massive scale, and people also supported them because people know that farmers are the ones who daily produ produce us food, bread, butter, milk, and daily. Secondly, people who have migrated to the cities, many of them have their grandparents of parents who had worked in agriculture. They had sympathy with the farmers. So that's why the mass mobilization of the farmers led to pushing down, pushing back this agenda of big agriculture. Yeah, pu pushing farm. back against, uh, against the government there. And we sort of see, we see a similar uh, vein here where uh, the French uh, are proud of their peasant roots and, uh, and, and uh, have huge sympathy. Uh, for those uh, who are protesting, it's interesting because we're talking about the whole chain and the sort of the bigger the corporations, the more you're sort of alienated from the whole process. That goes for the farmers. It goes for uh, the the middlemen, as as has just been described. 
Could we also say that it goes uh, for uh, consumers? Uh, they're uh, seeing a, a global system that at times it has them uh, uh, worried at, at this point in time. Uh, right now, um, in uh, places uh, like the United States, they've done studies on how people eat, and they have found that uh, one 2018 study by the University of California's Nutrition Policy Institute compared the price at the supermarket of apples, bananas, oranges, carrots, and tomatoes, and found them to be more expensive in poorer neighborhoods. More than four out of 10 convenience stores in California don't even sell fresh produce, they say. The same year, a study in the UK found that nearly one in 10 of England and Wales' most economically deprived areas are what's called food deserts, areas that are low on supermarkets and even lower on green grocers. Instead, very high densities of fast food uh, outlets. So the demand for what's being grown is shifting according to socioeconomic class uh, as well. Arnold Puech, Daddy Sack, uh, if we're going to save the, the planet and humanity, we need to eat right. So what do you grow? How do you get uh, what's both good for you and affordable? Uh, you know, uh, you, you speak about uh, Scotland. Uh, uh, in in UK, they, they have a, a slogan, uh, back British farming. It's important that everywhere in the world, People uh, need to be proud of the food uh, they can find in their country and support uh, first uh, the food from their country. Uh, in France, we are in a country, and Jean-Luc Demartier, like you, uh, we know how the French consumers, uh, like, it's proud of the yeah, food. Yeah, but now we go to Italy and we say there the tomatoes still taste like the tomatoes used to taste when we lived when we were younger. At this time of the year, when you buy tomatoes, you, yeah. of course, it no, came uh, <laughs> not from uh, only with the sun. Huh? It came. <laughs> because you have greenhouse and you, you can't expect to have uh, the right uh, tomatoes. But uh, in May, in June, and uh, during six months of the year, you have really uh, some good potatoes who are uh, not produced far from where you are. Henri Landes. If you want to ensure a system where you're going to be sustainable from an economic standpoint, environmental standpoint, and most importantly, social standpoint for these farmers to be able to make a living and be happy, you need to accompany them, help them go towards agroecological practices. That is a consensus. It doesn't mean you go from A to Z really quickly and brutally. You need to help them financially secure them. And that means that you have to also give a little bit of stability to that transition. And that doesn't mean that every farm needs to be 10 acres, 30 or 40. It means that you need to help farmers go towards that so that they can be in good health themselves, so that the food is healthy when it comes out onto the shelves or in the plates of consumers. And then consumers also need to become very interested in this topic and they should be in the streets Do with farmers. Do you feel as though uh, after the protests and all the conversations of these past weeks that we're thinking more about that, that it, there is? Yes, a little bit. Very little bit. Uh, no, it was not the domain uh, asking for, from the farmer. Um, they are really afraid by the, the implementation of the European uh, new uh, agriculture uh, program. And at the same time, they, they are under the, the pressure of the, the bad price and the increase of the cost of the production. It's mainly that who, who put that into the street. After that, they can have a, a big project for their farm and look wh where they want to go, where we be the next generation. 
but it's not the reflection that they have now. As always, uh, the, the balance between the urgent and the important. Uh, Arnold Puech Dalisac, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank Henri Landes. I want to thank as well Jean-Luc Demarty for being with us uh, from uh, Dinar. Pritam Singh in Oxford, England. Thank you for being with us here in the France 24 debate.